2 Corinthians 10, 7 through 18. Follow with me as we read the Word of God. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. We will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors. But with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father, help us to hear. Help us to understand the age that we are in and know that the battle that we fight against principalities and powers and speculations and lofty things raised up against you is not a new battle. And yet, Father, we have victory in you as long as we do it your way. Help us to understand that. Help us to embrace that. And help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus for the tasks that you have set before each and every one of us. We love you. And may our love grow in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 10 through the end of the book is dealing with spiritual warfare. But if you look at the second Corinthian text, you'll see that the first nine chapters are dealing with believers and it's full of encouragement and mercy, compassion. And then if you look at 10 through the end of the book, 10 through 13, once you get into that, then you start seeing that he starts dealing with these false accusers. Paul had been out of Corinth for some time and false teachers had crept in behind him and were now making accusations against Paul. So if they can discredit the messenger, then I can discredit his message. If I discredit his message, then I've got it made. Then I can teach you whatever I want. Anytime there's false teaching, okay, or crooked doctrine, there's chaos. We studied 1 Corinthians. Was it chaotic or what? He says, the way you guys are acting in church, lost people will come in and think you're insane. 
Alright? Anytime you see a chaotic situation in a church where sin is tolerated, or you're allowed to do anything, as long as you feel good, I don't want you to feel oppressed, I don't want to be legalistic, you know, let's have fun. Okay, when you see that, you can tell yourself that the teaching that is there is not pure. Alright? And we are in a spiritual war. I shared with you last week, Satan doesn't care what you believe, as long as it's not truth. Do you understand that? And once you take a stand for truth, it's like putting a big bullseye on you. All right? Especially for whatever reason, it has escalated in this day and age. All right? So the Apostle Paul has shared this, that what we're trying to do, that we, that though we walk in the flesh, our war is not with weapons of the flesh. Okay? So now he's dealing in this section, the end of... Verse 7 through the end of chapter 10. How can I identify? How can I know a true man of God? How can I know that? Because there's a lot of people talking. Okay? But they ain't walking. Alright? And and it, I look at it today. In this day and age, I was in our Sunday school class. And, and I... In the 35 years that I have been in this church, it is amazing what I have seen in this community. Okay? The, the Word of God has always had a battle. Okay? There's always been a battle against truth. Um, but I never expected a battle to be against truth inside of the church. And that's what's going on right now. That's what's going on right now. How do we know? How do I know a true man of God? And what he's doing, he's asking the Corinthians to make a sound judgment. To make a sound judgment. And it should be based on very clear evidence. Why are they confused? There is no reason for the Corinthian believers to be confused. How did they believe the lies of false teachers. How is that possible? And Paul kind of stops him and grabs him and says, Stop and look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Verse 7. He starts it off with this phrase. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. Okay. Now this, this we're going to get into a little more language difficulties here in the, for a bit, but you'll just have to bear with me. It can be translated two ways. Okay? It can be indicative or it can be imperative. Alright? The New American Standard translates it indicative. Okay? What that means is present fact. Present fact. Alright? Basically, what it, it, way it's translated in the New American Standard is you're looking at things as they are outwardly. All right. In Terry's vernacular, that is, you're judging the book by its cover. Okay. You're looking at it outwardly. You're looking on the surface. Okay. You're looking at a, uh, a fleshly perspective. Okay. Try to make it a little deeper. All right. It could also be an imperative. 
Okay, an imperative is a command. All right, if it's that, understand, it's the same Greek words. If it's an imperative, it basically would translate, look at what is obvious, to use my vernacular. Look at what's right under your nose. All right? Look at the evidence. See the reality. All right? I lean to the imperative. Okay? Here's the reason. The verb there, to see or to look, is often used by the Apostle Paul. And almost always, when he uses it, he uses it as an imperative. Okay? Let me give you some verses and you go look for yourself at some other time. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10. Galatians 5, verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Colossians 2, verse 8. Colossians 4, verse 17. Those are all imperatives. To look. Very few times does he ever use it as an indicative. It's always an imperative. It's commonly a command. Okay? So what he's saying here in verse 7 is, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. He's saying, I want you to look deeper. I don't want you looking at the outwardly. I want you to look a little deeper. Okay, Look at the evidence that's right below your nose. Right in front of you. How do you rush after false teachers and join in this mutiny that had taken place in Corinth? How do you believe these teachers who came in behind me are true and believe that I am false? Paul is saying, I want you to look at the evidence. See, the primary thing that he's dealing with in these verses 7 through 10 is his authority as apostle. All right, because that was why he was preaching and teaching. Because Jesus himself said, go be an apostle unto the Gentiles. All right. And you know what? The Corinthians had just a tad bit of evidence to make the right decision. There's no reason not to make the right decision. I'll take you back a few years to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Jesus our Lord? Are not you the work, my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least to you I am. Okay? For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, so you can see that this problem has been going on for just a tad bit of time. And he's trying to get them to look at the evidence. Listen, everyone in the Corinthian church 
who was saved under the Apostle Paul's ministry knew. They all knew. Okay, and, and listen, this is the thing that always gets me into trouble. Okay, the transformation of a child of God is seen. Okay, I don't care if it is an infant in Christ. That transformation, uh, Linsky calls it the invasion of the soul by God is seen. Okay, and his transformation is the work of God in the Corinthian church. How do you explain your salvation, Corinthians? How do you explain the founding of a church in Corinth, Corinthians? If I'm a false apostle, how did those things happen? If to others I am not an apostle, at least to you I am. For you are the seal of it. You know, if if it was me, and the way I would write it is, how stupid can you be? Me and Paul are different. If I'm false, and yet you were saved under my preaching, and my preaching, the church was built, how can I be false? How did you get false? How could you get saved from false teaching? Look at the community of believers. Look at what is right in front of you, Corinthians. Look at the facts, Corinthians. Okay? So, the first thing I want you to think about, how do... To what a true man of God is known by one, his relationship to Christ, his relationship to Christ. The false said, Paul, that they were the real representatives of Christ and Paul wasn't. All right. Paul was a fake. Now, listen, you you need to understand the subtlety of speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. Nobody walks in and says that that past guy was a false teacher. Okay? Especially he was with them for two years. So you can't come in and just discredit him right off the bat. But they will subtly put a speculation in there. A doubt. And what they do is then they will nurture that. And they will grow that. And you watch them and they will gather allies on that. And as they gather the allies to that, then they will start spreading it out. And then people all of a sudden start doubting. And you know what? You think about it for a second. How quickly do we forget? I don't care what it is. How quickly do we forget? You know... I, you know, I look at history, uh, D-Day, uh, 70th anniversary, and I, I think about that, and I thought, you know what? The next big celebration, 75, how many of them guys are going to be around? I mean, most of them are in their 90s now. And, and, I, and I thought, I said, I listen to what we claim today to support and, and our philosophies. And then I think about those guys on D-Day. That's stunning to me. I have had the privilege to sit down and talk to a couple of guys who were at Omaha. And I can't comprehend it. They ain't no way I'd have got out of that boat. 
And, and yet they had guys on some of those boats. Their order was shoot the man who don't get out. And I'm like, wait a minute. I guess that would motivate you. But I, I think about in history, and it, it doesn't take a lot of time. We can say, well, 70 years ago, gee whiz, how am I supposed to remember that? Well, there's enough there to remember. I think about just in this congregation, how we have forgotten some things. Okay, we have forgotten the struggles that we've had. We have forgotten the battles that we have had. We have forgotten some of the heartaches that we've had to endure. And yet, I think about the Corinthians here turning on the Apostle Paul and how these men would have worked up to making him the fake. He's a fake. He's not real. He's, they were accusing him of being in the flesh, that he wasn't even saved. But see, they had the true authority. They had truth. Paul didn't have it. They were personally chosen by Christ. Paul wasn't. They had a superior relationship to Messiah. They were Jewish. We were closer. We're not even sure Paul's really Jewish. You know, he was born in Tarsus. He wasn't born in Israel. They knew Christ more deeply. They had a greater authority. And you know what? The problem with all of their accusations against the Apostle Paul is... uh, And I have seen this. Not only have I seen this, I've endured this. They had no proof. They just said it. That's that's all it. I just said it. Well, it's got to be true. Why? Because he said it. Okay? Look what he says here in verse 7. If anyone is confident in himself. Now, he goes back to singular. So I would say that there was a um, a group of false teachers. But there was a, what I would classify as a ringleader. The guy who came up with this idea. Because he uses the singular noun there in verse 7. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider again with himself. Okay? He says he is Christ. All right, that's fine. He is confident that he is Christ. Okay, that's fine. What's the basis? What's the basis? See, the basis that this accuser is is using is his own personal opinion. You know, I read a, a report that 89% of Americans are Christians. Okay? And I was like, wow, that's cool. We're all like New Jerusalem. And, uh, but then 18% believe the Bible is the Word of God. Well, wait a minute. How does that dog hunt? I don't know how, how you get that. Listen, your own personal opinion has a lot of power for you. But that's as far as it goes. This man's own personal convictions, this man's own personal claims, that's it. And you know what? So often that is what is today. 
I was looking for a church that was looking for an administrative pastor. I don't know what that is. But anyway, looking for an administrative pastor. And they had, it goes to, it had a job description. These are what were qualifications. Number one, you had to have a master's in business. Number two, uh, is, uh, had to be able to deal with a $53 million a year budget. Number three, had to be able to delegate duties to other people in the delegating money. Okay. All the way down to number six. Number six stood out to me. Okay, number six was, must have a personal relationship with Christ. Well, I thought, well, that's a real good idea. But I'm not sure it'd be number six on my list. I think it'd be the first five. There's, listen, these people who had come in after Paul have no record of churches built. They have no record of saved souls. They have no record of the Damascus experience. They have no record of a personal commitment to Christ. They have no people, no record of people who can bear witness to who they are. Listen, there's a guy in Damascus at the writing of this letter named Ananias who's watched and bears testimony that Paul came into Damascus blind as a bat and God told him to go heal him. And he was healed. That's a pretty powerful testimony. Go ask him. These guys don't have a Barnabas. That says, I hung out with him. I watched the power of God unleashed through this man. The power of Paul was seen. The number of believers is seen. They could speak to this testimony. It was all there. But this person confidently says he is in Christ. Why are you in Christ? Because I said so. I am confident in it. I know pastors right now that make me nervous, but they are confident in it. They claim to be related to Christ. They claim to have a unique earthly ministry. They claim an apostolic commission with Christ. They claim a mystical Gnosticism. They claim that I have an elevated mystical knowledge that is even beyond what Paul could ever even comprehend. And they were just claiming it. And yet they were denying the truth of the Apostle Paul. They claimed the things for themselves that were true of the Apostle Paul. And they said that Paul was false. They were trying to discredit the Apostle. They tried to say that he had a hidden life of lust and sin. That he was preaching lies for money. He used to be a Pharisee. Keep the law. But now he's teaching grace. If I teach you grace, you'll give me more cash. He's not a real Christian. He was not commissioned. He's not authoritative. Okay. There's no higher knowledge. Paul can have it. Paul can't have it. He's of the flesh. If you move over one chapter, chapter 11, verses 22, 23. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. 
Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. Why? They were saying he's crazy. All the claims he's making is crazy. Servants of Christ. Insane that Paul would be a servant of Christ. And yet, the primary issue is his authority. By what authority does the Apostle Paul do this? They're trying to discredit him. You know what? I hear it today. The new buzzword that I've been running into on a consistent basis. Okay? Are you ready? Here it is. It's powerful. It's mystical. It's beyond knowledge. It's called anointed. What? You have to go there because it's anointing. <laughs> I made a comment to a guy telling me that. I was like, did you mean annoying? And he said, no, anointing. I was like, oh, okay. I just wanting to be clear here. That's the big word now. It was anointed music. It's an anointed ministry. It's anointed speaking. It was anointed prayer. It, it, well, gee, you're annoying. But you hear it today. They have divine power. They have divine authority. They have new revelations. They have fake healings. They have arrogance. They have great authority, great knowledge. They can see the future. They can predict the future and tell you everything that's going to happen. And they live in a different level of spiritual awareness than any average human being. Amazing powers. And let me give you the footnote on it. Every one of these yahoos are new to the community. They're new to the community. And you don't know where they've been. Drives me nuts to watch the church put a flyer out says, I need a pastor. And guy fills out a resume, sends him a sermon, tape, CD, whatever we send these days. And hey, let's hire him. Why? He's anointed. And, and you're like, well, I don't get it, guys. Okay, listen, you can't see their lives, nor will you get to know their lives. Whoever questions what they're doing is they are immediately attacked. You're divisive. You can't be divisive and be a Christian. Really? Try the gospel of Matthew. Okay, that's what was being said of the Apostle Paul. And it's typical. It has never changed. Listen, you know what is amazing to me about the, right here in this text? Paul doesn't deny any of it. Okay, now listen, he will in chapter 11, 13 through 15. And he has a solid argument there and he will deny it. But just for the sake of argument... Paul writes this section. If we are just going to compare by personal claims, if anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, then he makes this statement. Let him consider. Rethink this thing. Just as he is Christ, so are we. Paul takes on the humble state. He's talking about all the people that are with him. We are of Christ. That's his humility. If any are going to base this on personal convictions that he is Christ, then they can't deny my personal convictions. Now think about that. That's a common argument. If you've got convictions, I, you can't deny them. 
Right? Now, I mean, Paul's, you think about it, Jesus stopping and blinding you on the road to Damascus. He's got some convictions. All right? And you're not going to sway him off of it. If all we are going to do is compare our personal convictions, how would one figure out which one's right? His conviction is he's an apostle. And his conviction was that Paul was not. It don't make it true. Paul's personal conviction was he was an apostle. So if you look at the proof, what proof do they have? What evidence do they have of their claims? I I know what they're saying. But you ever seen that? We live in a sphere of that. I don't have to have proof of nothing. I can just say it. And you're all right. And, and everybody goes, goes along. Like little old sheep. Oh, that's right. Why? He said it. If he said it, it must be true. You look at Paul's life. You know, I look at the Apostle Paul's life and, and I stand in awe. Okay? Everybody in Corinth knew Paul's conversion. Everybody in Corinth knew his commission. Why? There wouldn't be a church in Corinth if Paul hadn't come. It was seen. Paul's life, it was seen. His passion for Jesus Christ was never, ever questioned. It was seen. You know what was amazing about Paul's life? The change was testified by believers and non-believers. Why would the Jews want him dead? His walk was known. His relationship to Jesus Christ was consuming. Listen, Paul started out as a Christ hater. Do you understand that? He was on his way arresting Christians. There was a 180 degree change. And I mean, there was no doubt that he changed. He was known by the believers before the Damascus road. Why? They feared him. At the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian to be martyred for the name of Christ. The stoning of Stephen. Who was holding the coats? Paul was. So the Christians understood it. The non-believers understood it. The evidence was overpowering. It was overwhelming. He was consumed by his love for Christ. And you have to look at Paul's life and say it was a miraculous change. Paul's life was, I want to know nothing but Christ and his crucifixion and the fellowship of his suffering. Are you ready for that? That was his passion. That was his relationship to Christ. He forsook everything for Christ. And he had hated Christ and persecuted Christians. His life had gone from anger and hate to love and compassion. And he had lived his life, that life of love and compassion among the Corinthians for two years. Okay, They knew what his heart was. They knew what his passion was. And his life with them was seen. It was evident. It was drastic. He had been with them from house to house. You saw, you heard, 
They believed, and it birthed a church, grew a church. He trained up leaders. He strengthened saints, and Jesus was glorified. He never touched the glory. This accuser, this one singular ringleader, Paul says, needs to consider again or rethink it. This accuser was confident in himself, has to acknowledge Paul. Because the evidence says Paul is real. Because Paul says, I've got confidence. But I also have evidence. And if you're really honest with yourself, a simple cursory reading of the apostle's life, you will understand that he had a lot of evidence. And they matched his personal claims. What's the point? What's the evidence? See that? But yet you see it. It goes on today in the body of Christ. People just, let me just say something. Why? Well, you made me mad. I had people leave this church because I was downtown on Perry Street and they were standing on the sidewalk and I didn't wave at them when I drove by. Okay? Do you realize how silly that is? The Corinthians knew. Paul says, I know I'm Christ. For me to live, to die is gain. I am to live as Christ. To die is gain. His heart's passion. I have known the power of his suffering, his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. That was it. I preached Christ and him crucified. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Alright? And let's be realistic. Look at his life. They all knew it. And you know what is amazing about the testimony of the Apostle Paul? The believers and the unbelievers all understood it. They all knew it. He had a true fruit of change. He had a true impact on souls. And he had a true impact in the strengthening of saints. He had impacts on spouses. He had impact on neighbors. He had impact on children. True men of God walk with Christ in such a way that their life changes people. If you are already saved, you will be strengthened by a true man of God. If you are an unbeliever, it's a good possibility you'll come to salvation under a true man of God. And it's not just something they mouth. It's not something that you can never get close enough to. There's a lot of these people who live in their own little worlds. They show up, give a message that's anointed. And then they disappear again. You don't know what they're doing. They walk with Christ. They walk with Christ intimately. They have a passion for Christ. Listen to what they focus on. Listen to what they say. It is clearly seen in their lives because it is so abstract to a lost world. You can't miss it. It stands out like a sore thumb. It is so bizarre. Matthew 7, Jesus tells us, false will come as prophets in sheep's clothing, the garment of a shepherd in wool, and inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know what their point is? To destroy you. That's all they want to do. But they claim to be true. And they are confident. And we are told we will know them by their fruit. Listen, you can't get grapes off a thorn bush. Look at their fruit. Look at their fruit. How do I know a true messenger? I look at his life. 
I look at those who follow him. What fruit? What are these people that follow? You know what? I run into people almost daily in the evangelical community who are very pleasant. They're very positive. They can speak orthodoxy. They are so sincere. They dress well. They speak biblical knowledge. John Calvin called it evangelical vocabulary. But their lives have a darkness in it because their doctrine is compromised. It wants to encompass the society. And you know what? It'll be seen. It'll be seen. (laughs) Linsky made this statement, I quote, You can hide bad fruit under the shepherd's robe for only so long. Unquote. (laughs) I thought, yeah, right. I look at it from a different perspective. At some point, that fruit's going to start rotting. (laughs) And people, I can smell that. What is that? Okay. But they're out there. And you know what? They might be able to speak fluent Christianese. Okay. But the truth of the matter is, you will know them by their lives. You know, in our society today, I look at it, there's a lot of people talking about, you know, how great thou art. And the truth of the matter is, they like to be in front of the bright lights and the cameras. Why? Because the bright lights and the cameras, they blind. Okay? But you know what I've learned? Only for so long. Only for so long. As the Corinthians, we need to look at the facts. Tell me about your life. When I ask people ask me for church membership, I ask them a simple question. Tell me how you were saved. And you you cannot believe some of the things I have heard. Okay, I mean I'm thinking about writing a book. <laughs> you ain't believe what this one said. Okay, because if they can't articulate that with a biblical foundation, then we have a problem. Because I I know that I am not capable of shepherding a non-believer. Okay, one of us is going to pull their hair out. All right, that is a simple fact. If you can't articulate your salvation, and and you know what. it better be more than, you know, I was on a Billy Graham crusade and because I'm not buying. Okay. I look at the Apostle Paul. I look at the writers of the New Testament. There's no doubt in anybody's mind that they were saved. Because it was radical. Why wouldn't it be radical today? Right? You should be completely odd to the world. Okay? I have people ask me, did you watch this and such such and such show? Uh, no. I don't know what that is. There was an actor who was uh, hurt in a car accident the other day, and they were making a big deal of it. And I was like, I don't know who that is. I, I, but, and I, well, I don't have time, to be honest with you. You know, I, I've even gotten to where I don't even watch sporting events. They've got Sports Center. 
And I can see every sport known to humanity in 15 minutes. Okay? I know who won, I know who lost, I know how and why. Okay? And I'm like, wow, that's using your time. Okay? And I've gotten to the place now, I don't even watch the weather because they don't know what it's going to do. But I look at that and I think about saved people. What is their focus and what is their relationship to Christ? I had a pastor, and I'll close with this, who told me, he says, I came to your church. And he said, uh, man, everybody there has got their Bibles. And they flip it around. I said, you tell them to go here. And they flip the page and go there. And he says, could you come up to my church and get my people to do that? And I said, uh, well... Here's the deal. You need to get them saved. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, they need to be saved. Why? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If they don't have a love for the Word, back up a step. Okay? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never. All right? So I, I, I want us to understand that and we need to look at the facts of the man's relationship to Jesus Christ. Okay, and it should be very easy to see. If you can't see it, beware. Let's pray. Father, may our relationship with you grow with every breath you grace us. May we be overwhelmed with your love, your mercy, your power. Father, your compassion. And Father, may those very things be reflected through each and every one of us. May we walk in a manner worthy of this great calling. May we stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. May we look at the Apostle Paul and say, I want to be like that. I want to be overwhelmed. I want to be compelled. I want my life to be Christ. Hide us, each of us into Christ. Father, I just pray this day that there is fertile soil and that, Father, we bear much fruit and that people will know without a doubt that we are children of the Most High God. We love you and we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.